The very concept of managing your message to build a message that other people want to share and will share necessarily includes good leadership. Today, we're talking about some tough love in leadership. It's Timothy Lubfer, author of Leadership Tough Love, examining leaders through the lens of reality on the Manage Your Message podcast. Welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow by talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr. Come on in and welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast. I'm Jim Carr. I help professionals and entire organizations to get the most out of their everyday business conversations, the ones that generate by far the most growth opportunities. Your specific situation coming out of the COVID-19 crisis won't be exactly the same as anyone else's. However, everyone is having or should be having some very different conversations than they did only a few months ago. And your customers are facing dramatic changes too, as are your customers' customers on down the line. Your market needs to hear from you in a certain way and consistently. And as we get into stages of economic recovery, which again, won't be the same everywhere, you and your team will need to adjust that message. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean changing your entire business model, and it doesn't mean changing your mission or values, but it does mean some hard decisions about how everyone in your business should be talking about the business across virtual, digital, and eventually more in-person paths of communication. It also means figuring out how to best train, teach, coach, lead, and learn in this new environment. That's what we address on this podcast and what I consult and speak about and what I wrote about in my book, The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. You can find it in paperback, Kindle, and audio versions wherever great business books are sold. You can also find a free sample on my website, jimcarr.com. We also added a new one-page guide. It's available as a free download titled, Five Steps for Managing Your Growth Message. You can find that, again, on the website. There's a link in our show description. I can also share that with you if you drop me a line at jim at jimcar.com or via LinkedIn. This podcast is part of the mix. It is a labor of love. We invest the time and money to put all of these resources together for you because, simply put, it's much easier for you to grow your business all over again when you are a message manager. Our guest today has some very timely, if contrarian, guidance for leaders. Timothy Lupfer graduated first in his West Point class. He was a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford and, among other assignments, commanded a reinforced tank battalion in Desert Storm. After retiring from the Army, Tim took his leadership skills to the private sector. Today, he shares his expertise with people in need of a more effective strategy to use within their organizations. In his book, Leadership Tough Love, Tim introduces ideas and observations that, I must say, run counter to a lot of the current thinking on leadership. He believes it's time to inject some tough love into the leadership conversation. So let's have a conversation. Tim Lufer, welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast. First of all, a very sincere thank you for your service and your leadership in the armed forces. Well, thanks very much, Jim, and thank you for having me on today. 
Terrific. And there are a lot of lessons here, obviously, in in both corporate and the not-for-profit and lots of different settings about leadership. And it's it'll be interesting, our conversation today, because I think there's some things that you talk about that seem very foundational. Others are might be a little bit against the grain in terms of the way that leadership is portrayed today. And I thought I might begin with a little bit of a, a personal note and a, a connection. My late father was a general. He retired as a brigadier general in the Georgia National Guard. And we used to joke around the household, not always in front of him, of calling him the general, even before he attained that rank. He, of course, completely bought into the values about clear lines of authority and decision-making. That's the way it, it has to be. But he would also talk about at times, Tim, you know, there were troops who could tell the difference between leaders that they had to follow versus those whom they frankly would follow anywhere. So as you've seen the intersection of leadership in the armed forces, in corporate America, in other settings, how do you view authority and the proper uses of it? And how do you push those levers of authority versus a less formal influence? Well, Jim, that's a that's a good question, and one of my major themes is that leadership itself requires both influence and authority. Those are the two major tools for a leader to use, and that's actually one of the things that distinguishes a leader from just someone who's trying to influence people. Uh, we try to influence each other all the time, but leadership requires followers, and when you have followers, you have another tool, which is called authority, and a couple of points on that. First of all, I've never seen an effective leader who did not know how to use both. And the key was those effective leaders knew when each tool, meaning influence and authority, was appropriate. There are different times that call for these things. Influence, of course, is more bottom-up and personal, whereas authority is very much top-down. A lot of times today, because I think sometimes people are a little bit oversensitive, we think, oh, authority is a dirty word. No, authority is not a dirty word. It's a very important tool. The point is we all know people who have overused it because when you have authority, it's very easy to get lazy and just depend on it. And I think that gets to the point that your father was making. We, we've all known people. We've all probably worked for people. And unfortunately, maybe we've all behaved this way ourselves where we rely too much on authority and we don't complement authority with the personal influence. And it's getting that balance that is really good. I think one of the things, though, I want to make, and it's a little bit of a nuance with your dad's comment, is there are times when you're leading that people aren't going to like you and they're not going to like what you said. And those are the times sometimes where you have to use authority. I think it's over time that followers will perceive when the leader is using authority correctly, even though at the time they didn't like it, but they will later realize, hey, that was important and it was competent. In other words, it was the right decision, even though I didn't like it at the time, because I think it's over time that followers really get to understand the leader and it's over time when they look at the whole package that they make the distinction between someone that I want to follow versus someone that I have to follow. But at the time we're recording this, we're still very much here in the States and in different parts of the country 
trying to come out uh, from the the COVID nineteen pandemic, and there are you know number of restrictions and and all of this, and we're seeing friction in a number of areas, some more more than others, of the authority coming from government officials in terms of limits on uh, on behavior, who can open again in terms of businesses, et cetera. We're certainly seeing different levels of compliance and buy-in. There's got to be some component that at least if I'm the the follower, if I'm subject to your leadership, that I, you know, I might not like doing it, but at least I have to have the sense that you understand me, that you get it, and that there's a higher good to be served by what you're telling me to do. Is that something, whether you want to call it empathy or just understanding or credibility, street cred, what is there? What's the component there that helps people to go along, even if in the moment they don't really want to do it, that they they do buy in and maybe build in that followership over time? Well, I think it's a couple of things. I think it is the basic combination that I talked about of authority and influence because within influence, that includes the very important aspect of communication. And so to address the specific case you're talking about, which is coronavirus, it's a great example because, first of all, we see people, particularly at the governor level, because by our constitution, that's actually where a heck of a lot of power resides. So this has all been a good civics lesson for all of us, because the, the residual powers rest with the state, not with the federal level. And so let's just talk about governors. They're using their authority based on public health, and it is authority. It is top-down. We're really going to see 50 different laboratories, 50 different states, and I think it's going to be interesting when it's all over to go back and look at how different governors did this. I will say that looking at a couple, and these are outside of my state, which is New York, the governor of Ohio, DeWint, I think is his name. He certainly reacted and said, we've got to close things down. But he was also very communicative about why and what's going on. And another example is the governor of Massachusetts, whose name fails me right now. But one of my brothers lives in Massachusetts. And he said, you know, the thing I like about this guy, he said what we had to do. But he also admitted that we don't know everything about this virus. And we may get some things wrong, but we still have to make decisions. And in that communication, there was an honesty that, quite honestly, I've seen absent in a lot of other cases Mm -hmm. in this. And I think that's what followers react to best, particularly here in the United States. I think people will understand why something has to be done. And I think that's been evident in how people have gone through this very painful lockdown. But I think they also react better when people are very honest and straightforward about what's going on to include what is unknown. And that's the piece that I think most leaders I've observed in this coronavirus have failed on. They're not admitting that we don't know everything about this. We can't invoke the word science all the time here because evidence is changing. And I think people react better when they see that somebody's being honest and straightforward. Right. There's some great points that we uh, we can dig into a little bit more. And the, the point about science, the title of my book is The Science of Customer Connections. But science itself is a series of testable hypotheses and, and ideas that we hold lightly. And, you know, the, the notion of that there's settled science or that it's a done deal, frankly, is, is almost always wrong. 
And so your your point about, and you use the word communicative, but not just that that effective leaders, particularly in times like this, not just the volume of communication, because you know people can get tired of hearing uh, the same old thing, but the content of that communication. You mentioned about being honest and talking about things that, hey, here's what we don't know. Here's what we do know. Here's why we need to take the steps that we are. So are there other keys that you've seen in terms of how most effective leaders use messaging, use conversation, use communication in order to build consensus and more importantly, to build action? Well, I think one of the things, like I mentioned before, and I think it's the most important, is to be honest. And that is to say what you know and to admit what you don't know. And a lot of times that's lacking because people in leadership positions, and I've certainly been in that position too, you're somewhat loath to admit there's something you don't know. But it's so important to do that, particularly in a crisis situation, so that people basically can sense that you're human too, and there's there's going to be some a good degree of empathy there. I think the other thing is to communicate with your own behavior. There's a situation brewing in the UK right now in London, where one of the main advisors to the prime minister, Dominic, and I can't remember his last name, this is the advisor, he basically has has violated the requirements for the lockdown and the like. And it's causing quite a row there because you know, here's somebody close to the prime minister, somebody who'd been advising about the lockdown and why we need it. And then it turns out he was personally violating it. That's the other thing people don't react too well in a free society, and that's hypocrisy. Uh, And so leaders have to be very careful about that in terms of their own behavior as well. And certainly you saw that in uh, in military situations. You study military history and leaders there. And there there are those leaders, and several come to mind, particularly in American military history, who were the ones who would be there riding at the front lines. You know, they were the ones that would be there on the ground. And then there would be others who would kind of look from afar. I think I was thinking about the Mel Gibson movie, The Patriot, right? There was a, uh, uh, there's a scene, the British commander who was observing from afar and, and, uh, and this Mel Gibson character who was you know, there on the ground. An extreme example, cinematic, of course, but you're, uh, if, if nothing else, even if you can't be there on the front lines all the time, at least, as you say, you're modeling the behavior and you're showing the example because uh, I'm sure that, that people will judge at least as much, if not more, from what you do versus what you say. Well, that's true. And, and that's one of the dilemmas, by the way, that people face in the military. And I think a good example is the American Civil War. One of the problems with the American Civil War was the invention of the mini ball, which was the bullet that could travel in a rifled musket. And the range and accuracy of the firearms increased from less than 100 yards with a smoothbore musket to well over 300 yards. The result was a lot of generals got killed. Uh, <laughs> and that was the beginning of people realizing when you lead from the front, you're going to start taking a lot more risk. That resulted in changes in generals' behavior, I would imagine, at least for some. It's interesting. I mean, just about every general in the Civil War uh, was wounded or came very close. Grant had bullets passing through his hat 
Uh, I believe that was at the Battle of Shiloh. Quite honestly, several generals got killed. One of them was General Sedgwick in 1864, Union General, Corps commander, rode up to his troops and they were hitting the ground because of Confederate sharpshooters. And he said they couldn't hit the broadside of an elephant. Those were his last words. (laughs) And so this is one of the dilemmas that leaders face as well. Yes, people need to see you. And in the case of the military, they need to see that you're sharing the risk. But at the same time, if you're orchestrating the big show, you've got to be in a position where you can see everything going on. And so sometimes that means you have to be toward the rear to get the communications and to see what's going on and to make the decisions that need to be made. And this is true in business as well. I think leaders have to be able to demonstrate that they understand what's going on on the ground and that they can be seen on the ground. And at the same time, they've got to be able to step back and manage things at the level that they're paid to manage. And once again, it's a very, very intricate and tough balance. And once again, the best leaders I've seen are the ones who are able to do that. They can be on the ground, not just for two nanoseconds, they can be on the ground show people they're there, understand what's going on on the ground. And at the same time, they know when to get back and manage stuff at the right level. And and all of this, quite honestly, Jim, I feel very strongly takes a lot of practice, which is why if people want to be leaders, they've got to start early and they've got to practice, practice, practice. And you've seen leadership, you've had it yourself in a lot of different environments. So The military, obviously, uh, a big retail organization, a big brand name in consulting. And we can talk about the work that you do today with clients and how you help them see that picture and practice itself. I imagine you've seen a lot of different personalities, a lot of different styles. So I'm curious, Tim, do you see common threads of what plays well and what doesn't from one environment to another? Is there a style? And and I, I, I think that you would say charisma is a trap, but are, you, are there other things that you would say that someone could be a, a, would have the characteristics, you know, if developed, that would play well across different environments? Well, first of all, Jim, one of my observations is I've never met anyone, and I include myself in this list, who has been a spectacularly successful leader in all, all environments, all situations. A lot of leadership is very situationally dependent. And I think it's very important for leaders to be able to assess very quickly the environment they're in, particularly if they've just been assigned to a leadership position, because the environments can have a a huge impact on what you're doing and how you're going to be effective or not effective. So basically, I I would say I've never seen anything that's sort of the universal leader that's successful in every case. I just don't think that exists. And that's because we're human. What I've tried to do is distill leadership into three main things that leaders do. And that is they give direction, they demonstrate capabilities in their job or in their position, and they embody character. To me, those are the three key things, and this is also based on the research and response from followers. These are the key things that a leader does. Now, you've raised the question about personality. Here's my feeling about personality. 
personality is actually what we're born with to a very large degree. We can refine it. We can massage it. But I think the most important thing is for a leader to be, not just appear, but to be genuine. So in other words, if somebody's got a more quiet personality, I don't think that person needs to change his or her personality because he or she is in a different leadership position. I think they need to recognize, look, I've got to give direction, demonstrate capabilities, and I've got to embody character and do that in the way that's natural for you. And I say that because I think one of the things about followers is that followers can detect a phony in a leader. I think that followers are very, very good at that. And so what you don't want to do, I think, as a leader is is to put on errors or be something that's unnatural for you or your personality. What I would say is be genuine with who you are and be confident with who you are. And remember, you've got to do three things as a leader. You've got to give direction, demonstrate capabilities, and embody character. You talk about the tension between capabilities as a specialist versus maybe capabilities as a leader. So there may be someone who is very good, and let's just pick an example. So maybe there's a big engineering firm and someone who may have worked their way through there, and they're they're very competent in terms of those skills and project management and being an expert, but that doesn't necessarily translate into leadership, at least without a lot of practice. Is that true? Yes, I would say that. And it's one of the things in my book, Leadership Tough Love, that I'm glad that I wrote about because one of my main themes is the difference between what I call a specialist, which is somebody who does specialize in a specific body of knowledge and becomes an expert over time versus a leader. I think that difference is extremely important. I'm very glad in a maybe a perverse sense that the COVID-19 crisis has demonstrated this. We can see this. We've got all the so-called experts at various levels saying, you know, here's what science is telling us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they're experts. But they're not leaders because the leaders are the people, in most cases, the politicians, who have to step back and look at all the different aspects that are in play. And basically, to me, the situation we're going through today between the experts and the leaders is very similar to what I say about specialists and leaders, which is a specialist is someone that dedicates his or her efforts to achieve mastery in a given area of knowledge versus a leader, because a leader has to be a generalist. And those are two different skill sets. I'm not saying that a specialist may not be able to also operate as a leader, but they're different skill sets. And I think the best demonstration of this is in sports. So I'm going to jump from your engineering firm to sports, because I think it's it's even more dramatic. The most highly paid people on a team, on a professional team, are usually individual players not the coach or the manager. But those people who are being highly paid are are specialists. And when you look at the successful coaches and managers in sports, the vast, vast majority of them were not the best players. And it's because it's a different skill set. Yeah, you're right about that, Tim. And um, there are numerous examples of great players who had their hands at as coaches or general managers or team owners there are some, uh, Larry Bird comes to mind right away. He was successful as a coach, but um, 
but those examples are rare. And I, I'm, I'm wondering my working hypothesis on this. And as I've seen it play out, particularly in business is that those specialists over time, because they really do know their area and they become comfortable, people defer to their judgment in that area, but they can have over time difficulty in understanding their limits of like <laughs> their, their sphere of expertise. We see this very, very commonly. So it, is that something you see? Is it tough for a specialist to know where their lane ends? Well, I think that's an excellent point. I think the biggest problem with a specialist is they are so dedicated to the body of knowledge they devoted their efforts to that that's where they always reach back to. They reach back to their individual specialty. And that's great if that's where you're operating. But if you're now operating in a bigger realm, you have to be very careful not to reach back to what you're familiar with because you may have to look at a much broader set of factors. And this is one of the reasons why I say a good leader has to be more of a generalist because the leader has to look at all the different forces in play, including ones that they may not be that familiar with. And they've got to learn pretty quickly and they've got to find out who really knows that stuff to get that information in that particular area. But then you've got to put it in the mix as a leader. And so this is why I think it's very important for organizations. And and I see business make this mistake all the time. They confuse an excellent specialist with the ability to lead. Because the other thing about some specialists, they don't want the burden of other people to lead. Because leadership is a burden and some people can be a pain in the gluteus maximus. And there are some specialists who don't want to take that on. And you know what? That's fine as long as the organization recognizes that. But I can't tell you, Jim, how many times, particularly in business, I've seen organizations elevate somebody, particularly late in his or her career, who has been a specialist into a leadership position. And a lot of times it's been a disaster. And Tim, let's let's talk about that a bit. When you think about succession, leadership preparation, we'll even keep the sports comparison here for a moment. It's, it's something that I see very common and it's a goal, uh, especially within complex organizations, but it's developing coaching skills as leader, as teacher, leader, as coach, which is helping other people to understand how to be a leader themselves down the road. I wonder if you see, first of all, any difficulty if some leaders resist that because they may not want to have the competition from potential successors. Is that something that a lot of leaders and and managers find difficulty because they may have developed a competence and yet they have difficulty in showing other people how to do those things, how to give direction, how to demonstrate capabilities, how to model behavior. A big question here, but what are the characteristics of leaders who are also good teachers and coaches? Well, I think one of the things is that a very good, inspiring leader, by his or her example, is one of the best coaching tools there is. I mean, even if they don't deliberately go into coaching, if they're very, very good, and, and the highest level I call is inspiring leaders, because that's where you're very capable of giving direction, you demonstrate the capabilities, and then you have the secret sauce, which is character. Because character, to me, is the element that really binds, the, you know, makes the emotional connection between the leader and the follower. 
So when you have an outstanding leader who has those three things, especially the character, that example is going to stay with people, even if there's not deliberate coaching per se. Now, to get back to a couple of specifics, though, that you mentioned, first of all, and you hit upon it, one of the biggest problems I see in business is people are actually very afraid of somebody taking over their job. It's interesting. That's that's not as big a problem in the military because the military is structured for that. The military is very much a progression into different areas, whereas business is, today is much more freewheeling and a lot more fluid. And I actually have run into many people who do not want to develop subordinate leaders simply because they want people to remain dependent on them and secure their position. I think this is a huge issue. I think it's hurt leadership development on many levels in business. What's the solution? I don't have a a canned or easy solution. I think the thing is, though, we all, if we're in leadership positions, have to recognize, hey, we're in there temporarily. We're on this planet temporarily. So let's step back here and let's get a little bit real. Because what we really want to do in whatever we do in life is we want to develop cumulative improvement. When you have an organization that has the ethic of cumulative improvement, that's the most important thing it can do because that's the best skill to survive, not only survive, but to prosper, is this ethic of constantly making things better. If you have that ethic, then you will coach subordinates because you'll realize you're not going to be there forever. And let's let people build on what you've already done. But I have to say, Jim, that is a very tough ethic to ingrain in today's environment. Very tough. Sure. Tim, what are the areas, and you leave out specific names, but just some scenarios where you tend to be brought up as an advisor, where you're helping develop either it's a leader soon to be leader, someone who's being groomed, or maybe a leadership team. What are the areas that you are seeing that are the the biggest challenges, the biggest opportunities that that an outside expert, not specialist, but someone (laughs) who can bring in an, an outside view, what are you seeing today? Where are the big leadership challenges that you are involved with? What I basically see, and this is in business, and and to be fair to business as opposed to the military. Once again, the military is very structured. Also, the military constantly, as a a culture, takes a long view. Business is much more dynamic, changing, and fluid. So I'm not beating up on business. But what I am saying is what I've observed in the business environment, most leadership development programs are pretty poor, if they even exist at all. Because in many cases, they're just throwing people in the deep end and see who swims. That, to me, is not a particularly good leadership development program. And I think that organizations need to take leadership development much more seriously. Now, here's, the, here's one real key. The people who should run leadership development are the leaders. It should not be some staff person, particularly in HR, in charge of leadership development. People in HR can certainly help out and structure and participate in all that. But no, the people who need to run leadership development are the leaders of the organization, period. And that's the first thing, because leadership development isn't an add-on. Leadership development should be part of the fabric of the organization. What that means is leaders need to be constantly developing 
their subordinates, and they should be doing it without fear of replacement. And like I said before, that's a tough thing to do. And besides the fact it should be led by the leaders themselves, it also should be based upon practice, practice, practice. I call it the Carnegie Hall syndrome from the old worn out joke of the guy who frantically gets in a cab in New York City and says, oh my God, how do I get to Carnegie Hall? And the cabbie says, practice, practice, practice. That's what you've got to do with leadership development. And that means put people in leadership positions early on, the people who show that they want to be leaders. And and it's got to be constant work and constant reflection. And that means also then stepping back and critiquing your subordinates on, you know, here's what you did. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't work. Let's examine and notice it's let's examine together what happened. It's not just top down, but it's got to be a constant thing, you know, a constant effort. It's not a side thing. It's not something you do once a year. It's got to be constant. And I know that sounds kind of vague, but what I'm really talking about is it's got to be built into the fabric of what the organization does. It's not an add-on. Yeah, much the same way. I, I talk about how great messaging and, and leadership communication should be baked in. It's uh, in terms of how you meet, how you coach, how you evaluate, all of those things. Tim, been a great conversation. You have really uh, such an interesting, uh, exceptional background. We should mention you have a book called Leadership Tough Love, Examining Leaders Through the Lens of Reality. You could talk a little bit about that and other ways that our listeners, our message managers can keep up with you. Okay, Jim, thanks very much. A couple of things. First, I I do have a new website that I put up, which is timothytlupfer.com. And it has various thoughts about leadership, ethics and compliance, change, organizational change, things like that. So I, I... you know, if people want to take a look at what I'm thinking about and, and what I'm recommending, it would be to go to that website. And yes, I have this book out. It was published in late 2019, Leadership Tough Love. Of course, it's connected to the good old USA, which is the United States of Amazon. So it's on Amazon. And like everything else these days, that's-, that's <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah, I know. That's, that's the best way to get there. Basically, my approach is to say, look, leadership First of all, leadership is not influence per se. Leadership is influence plus authority because leadership is the role of influencing followers to achieve the organizational goals. That's a little bit more narrow than just saying, oh, if I'm trying to influence somebody, that's leadership. No, no, leadership involves followers, which includes authority as the other tool to complement influence. So what I'm trying to say is let's knock off the muddled thinking about leadership And really look at what it is. Not everybody in the organization is going to be a leader. So let's very carefully look at the people that we want to have as leaders and let's develop them right. And so that's what I'm hoping to do is is to help people with a framework for what leadership is so that we can get better at it because it's a constant effort. Tim Lufer. Your last name is almost as much of a challenge as is mine. So we'll have all these links in our show description, but uh, a great, very uh, useful, very timely conversation on leadership and the realities of that. I want to thank you again. Thank you for your service. Thank you for uh, spending some time with us here on the Manager Message Podcast. Thanks, Jim, very much. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here.
Thanks to you for joining us here on the podcast, whether you are a returning message manager listener, or perhaps this is your first time in. We're getting new listeners all the time, finding us through good pods or personal recommendations or lists. I hope you find it valuable and that you'll share your five-star rating and review and subscribe so that you don't miss a thing. Whatever the case, I hope you continue to find ideas for honing your message, growing your base of messengers, and growing your business. You can dig in more deeply by reading or listening to my new book, The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. You can find it wherever business books are sold in lots of different formats. You can even check out a free sampler on my website, jimcar.com. I welcome a connection on LinkedIn. That's where I tend to hang out, at least in terms of social media platforms. I would love to hear your ideas for future guests and topics. You can email me directly at jim at jimcar.com. And my direct mobile number is also on the website. Let's talk. And if you're beginning to feel the urgency to address your everyday business message and adapt to this new environment, then let's examine some options. I have a number of message leadership and growth programs, which I deliver virtually and in person, so that you and everyone around your business can likewise be comfortable and effective in their customer conversations in all of the ways that they will be happening now. Until next time, message managers, thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at managermessagepodcast.com and jimcar.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. And connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr. Until next time, we hope your business message is shared well and often.